Good morning. I'd like to uh, start with an announcement. Um, next week, or this week, actually today, your little piece of orchard history. This is our last Sunday with the pews, Lord willing. Uh, they've served us well. Uh, I think some chairs are going to serve us better. Uh, this place feels pretty full, like even today. But um, there's this funny thing. Uh, psychologically, we, we don't really sit as close to, especially people we don't know when there's not defined space. So these chairs will help define the space and help our space be a lot more mobile and flexible, uh, different ways to use it. So on Saturday, if you have ambition or desire to be a part of, uh, you know, just that moment in our church's history that we move from pews to chairs, uh, come, or if you're just, you know, hankering for a good workout, uh, these pews will give it to you, let me tell you. Uh, it's a bad idea for two guys my size to try to move one. That's, that's all I got to say. So uh, if you are on our email list, I'm going to send an email reminder. It'll be in the afternoon on Saturday. If you're not on our email list and you're like, yeah, I'd kind of like to come meet some guys and uh, maybe gals. Gals can come. Um, but uh, you can put your email or contact on these cards, uh, fold it up, or just put it in the offering bag after the message. And... Um, We'll include you in on our communication. So uh, let's pray together as we uh, begin our time in God's word. Abba, Daddy, um, you are so good to us. You, you send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, it's incredible how you have loved us even when we were dead in our sins. You came as a man and became like us in every way, yet you were without sin and you gave up your life uh, freely, willingly. You laid down your life so that we might have life with you right now and forever. A life abundant a life without lack. And so many of us, all of us, in some way, shape, or form, come here today uh, so acutely aware of our lack. Would you soften our hearts and open the eyes of our heart to see, to see you, Jesus, and the kingdom as it is presently and uh, hope, fill us with hope for the kingdom to come. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I wanted to begin today uh, giving you a minute 60 seconds to silently think, think about heaven. I just want the next minute, uh, what do you, how, how good do you suppose heaven will be? You can think about it as precisely as you can. Um, yeah, so your 60 seconds begins now, thinking about heaven.
Okay, that was a minute thinking about heaven. And I know there was, I don't know what you were thinking, but for all the people that are in the room, I'm sure there were a lot of different thoughts. And I really wrestled this week of, okay, so how do you respond with all these different thoughts? Some were probably, you know, really good and some were probably not so biblical. Uh, But regardless of what you thought, I have a few comments, one question and two comments to say. First, the question, if you could have even some of what you thought about, what you felt, what you longed for, even a sliver, how badly, how badly would you seek that out? If you could have even just a part of it. And my first comment is, even though I don't know what you were thinking, I'm confident that it's better than what you were thinking. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So it's better, friends. And here's my second comment. It's available, at least in part, right after Paul says what I just quoted, which is 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says this, these things which none of us can imagine, none of us can fathom on our own, God has revealed to us through his spirit. So at least in part, through relationship with God and the spirit that he has given to indwell us, we can experience these things in part we can these this reality is available in part and you might think okay but i really want the whole thing and yeah uh I, i don't blame you um you might think i don't get relief from my pain right now and maybe not there's nothing wrong with wanting relief from your pain but there is something wrong with wanting that most And we get the most important part of the kingdom of heaven right now. We get the person that makes heaven great. Heaven without Jesus is not heaven at all. That's hell. You get God himself right now. So even in the midst of our struggle with living in the already kingdom, even though it's the not yet kingdom right now, we get relationship with Christ. And so if you thought you wanted that picture of heaven, if, if you thought you wanted it, and now you believe God when he says it's better and it's available in part, how badly do you want it now? Knowing that it's available in part and it's even better than you originally thought. Our passage today is Ephesians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Paul says this, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and I've heard of your love toward all the saints, I don't stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he starts praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at his his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in the age to come. And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is such a loaded passage, uh, but I believe that Paul's goal in this passage was to develop a vision for the church, a, a vision of the good life, the good life according to God, the truly good life, the best life. And so that's our goal today, our goal for our time. Maybe s- someone's here today and you've never really accepted this vision of the good life as God defines it, accepted that as your vision of the good life, uh, you're invited to do that today. To say, yeah, God knows the truly good life. He knows the best life, and that's the life I want. Or if you've made that decision, like Joel, maybe, maybe you need to express it in obedience and baptism, or maybe you just need to take next steps and grow in that vision. But that, that's, that's our goal today, is to develop, to ongoing develop this, this vision of the good life. And, and you might think, okay, vision, what do, what do you mean? It's kind of a buzzword. And I've struggled with that word personally in the past. Like, what does vision even mean? Um, I think it's related to the object of our sight. It's related to what we look at. So I got to thinking this week, we all look at something. We all look at something. And whatever we choose to look at, um, it seems good to us. We choose it for a reason. And then we move towards what we look at. And when I say look, I mean think about what we desire, what what we deem as good. And so Jesus was talking about vision when he said the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Meaning if you have the right vision, you're going to be full of light. Your life will be full of the good life that God intends and offers. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if you think that what's good for you is actually bad for you, how great is the darkness? If what seems good to us is bad for us, then how bad off are we really? That's real bad. So here's an example, and you, you might be able to relate to this. This week, I got hungry at like 4 p.m. one day. <laughs> this is kind of a lighthearted example, but it, it, it applies. And I thought, I'll just eat a few chips. (laughs) You know, that seemed good to me. And then way too many chips later, I put the bag down. And what seemed good to me was not good at all because I just felt, you know, awful. It ruined my appetite for what was truly good for me, which was like actually a healthy dinner. Um, But, you know, I was just full of junk. So, I mean, we do this all the time. We, We move towards whatever seems good to us. And so if heaven truly seems good to you, best to you, then the thing that makes heaven great, the person of Christ, we can have him right now. I'd even go as far to say, this might stretch you a little bit, you can have as much of him as you want. He's not holding back. We are. Our vision is not too great. Our desire for the good life is not too great. It's too weak. So we have to always challenge what seems good to you. The question we must always be asking is what seems good to you and why? Because we're always going to end up looking at that, thinking about that, and moving towards it 
And often we do this without even thinking about it. And so how this ties into our passage is the first 14 verses of Ephesians, Paul paints this glorious picture of who God is and our relationship with him. And he's trying to say, look at who, look at who God is. Look how good he is. And then he moves his attention to the church beginning in verse 15 and prays for them because he wants the church to live in God's great vision for their lives. So let's unpack this passage from the perspective of God's vision for your life to be as best as it can be according to God, the good life according to God. So the first point of this is that God's good life is in community. His vision for your life is for you to live in community. We read this passage and all of the, all of the pronoun you, we, we read it and, and, and as Americans, I, I can just say for myself, as, a, as an American, I've read that as like me, right? You, I'm talking to just me. But it's all plural. It's all y'all or you all. Uh, every single one of them is plural. So you can't have God's vision for your life alone. We must live in community. And, and I don't know about you guys, but if you've, if you've ever tried that, you've probably experienced some brokenness. And that's why this series is called The Church, A Broken and Beautiful Bride. We have to acknowledge both realities. When we start living in community, our assumption here is that we will sin against each other. And it's not going to be just beautiful and glorious all the time. But this is what God has to say about the church. It's, it's not self-promotion. We're, we're like a jar made up of dried mud, but we have a treasure inside. We, it's like a jar of, of dried mud with gold inside. That, that's what the church is, legitimate church is. So, yeah, what we're after here with this, this whole sermon series on the church is not selling the church at all. What we're after is corporate worship. And Romans 12, Romans 12 paints the picture of corporate worship. He says, you all, in view of God's mercy, offer y'all's bodies, plural, as one living sacrifice. So th- this, is, this is part of corporate worship, but this is just a sliver. It's like if I ask you for a cookie and you break off a piece of the cookie and give me part of the, I'm like, yeah, that's part of a cookie, but I asked for a whole cookie. <laughs> if you think that coming Sunday morning is like your corporate worship, this passage would just drastically challenge you on that. Offer you all to offer y'all's bodies, your whole life as a living sacrifice, not just Sunday morning. Small groups are super important, but not just showing up to small group, but to live in relationship with each other as true and proper worship. So God's vision for our life is really God's vision for y'all's life. It's more than just yours. It's, it's found in knowing him and community. So back to our passage. Here's, here's God's vision for us all's life. It's, it's very simple. Paul goes on and on about it, but it's really simple. It's in knowing God personally. This is God's vision for our life together. And he says it in verse 17, may the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, may may, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so I just want to remind us, this is written to the church. They already know 
Jesus. In fact, Paul had just said, good job on living faithfully. But Paul is praying that they, their knowledge would increase. And this isn't knowing about God. This isn't the ability to you know, list off verses from memory or teach a systematic theology class without studying for it. This, this is not knowing about God. People can know about you without knowing you at all. That's called identity theft. I can know your birthday, your social security number, your first pet's name, <laughs> you know, all those secrets. They can know your passwords, but they cannot know you at all. And, and the knowledge of God that, that God is offering, that he's seeking, is personal. It's, it's knowing him personally. That's eternal life, that they would know the Father and the Son, that we would know God. That's eternal life. So you can have eternal life right now, according to Jesus, by knowing God. And, and the challenge is we have all these other things that seem good to us. They seem better to us than knowing God in our singleness, knowing God in our parenting, knowing God at our work, knowing God in our relationships. All these other things seem better. And those things the Bible calls idols. An idol can be anything, even good things like relationships or like money or like entertainment. All of these things can become idols when that is what you live for. But our relationship with God is to be the center of our life, the, the worship of our life. And then Paul, Paul kind of breaks it down and says, you can know God this way. You can know him through hope. In verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know, again, this is about knowing God, you can know God through the hope to which he's called you. Bless you. And hope is always future-oriented. So you have to wait for whatever you're hoping for. Biblical hope is a sure thing. But it's hard because all of suffering, all of suffering involves waiting. If you're suffering with a health illness and you want it healed, it involves waiting. That's part of your suffering. If you're suffering with singleness or financial troubles, it involves waiting. If you're suffering with unemployment, it involves waiting. And this is where we can know God, is in hope. Hope is hard. But this is an opportunity to live the good life, to know God personally, to trust in him. And, and if you compare what God offers, the riches of his glorious inheritance, if, if we just spend time thinking about that versus what are the, what's the best that our idols can offer us? So you make that next promotion, then what? So you get over that conflict, well then what? So you make that new digit in your bank account, then what? Hope that God offers never disappoints because we always get to know him more through hope. And it's difficult, but it's possible and it's the good life. Paul says we can also know him in power. And so hope deals with the future. Power deals primarily with the present. And there's honestly not enough time to spend on this passage, but I do, I do want to say this. Uh, verse 21, it says, Jesus has all power. 
not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So Jesus is the king of heaven. And Paul is saying very plainly, Jesus is also the king now. And so he has power to give you to live faithfully right now. Jesus has power, which includes over your suffering. And that doesn't mean that he'll take it away necessarily, but power to live faithfully in the midst of whatever you're going through. Power to know him. And that power, Paul says, that power is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's offered to us in relationship. I'm not saying that you shouldn't look forward to heaven. I'm saying, yeah, look forward to heaven, but live faithfully with the king of heaven reigning in your heart right now. And then how? How can we live faithfully? Verse 22. All things are under Jesus' feet and under Jesus. He's the head over all things, and this powerful king has been given to the church. Does the church appear or seem powerful? Do you see the church on national news? Not for good reasons, you don't. But this power, it's, it's like a divine conspiracy. It's very subtle. But it, it's available. This power is in Christ who has been given to the church. And then it says the fullness of him. The, the church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all there is a high and holy calling for us to fill everything in every way with Christ. So think about family dynamics, relationships with bosses and other co-workers, government, all industries from fast food to construction to nonprofits to truck driving to be filled with the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. And if our view of Jesus is anything less, we're doing a disservice to ourselves and the world around us. But when you do your engineering, your budgeting, your business, your child rearing to the glory of God, when you're participating in the kingdom of the heavens, you're being the church. And you are the church, friends. We are called to be the church. So I just got to say our view of the church According to this passage, our view of the church, which I, I do believe is universal, there's capital C church, all people of all places of all time, but that capital C church is always expressed through little c, local churches. And our view of the church will reveal much of our actual view of Jesus. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this might be a little corny, but... I'd like you to answer this question. Who is the church? You can answer it out loud. (laughs) There you go. There you go. That's good. I'm willing to be corny in order for it to sink, in order for it to stick. And as we, we're all going to move towards whatever seems good to us. And we must remember and remind each other That relationship to Jesus is our greatest good. He alone is where the truly good life is found. And since we all live this way, we also change this way. We grow into it by keeping the vision in front of us. So I want to leave you today with two tools, two tools to help you uh, move towards 
keeping the right vision in front of you. The first tool is called the VIM model, V-I-M. It stands for vision, intention, and means. And this is a tool that you can use in, in any part of your life uh, because this is how we live. We live with a vision in mind. If your vision is to be healthy, you will only move towards that vision as much as it's compelling to you. And, and however compelled you are by that vision, it'll show up in your intention, which means what are you committed to to live according to that vision? How badly do you want it? And then there are means, diet, exercise, having an accountability partner. Those are all means, but the means is not going to fix your problem. The problem lies in our vision. The problem lies in how good it truly seems to us. Because when that alarm goes off really early in the morning, <laughs> uh, the thing that gets you out of bed is vision and not the fact that you set a date with a friend to meet at the Y. It's vision. That's what gets you out of bed. That's what keeps you going. And so this can be applied to anything, but I'm encouraging us to apply it in light of God's vision for our lives. We have to change the way we're thinking, or at the very least, we have to consistently think about our thinking, and then we'll be ready, willing, and able to act. And then, if you have the vision, you'll know what to do. The means, I think, tend to take care of themselves. If you really want it, you'll find what it takes to accomplish your vision. And so here's another tool, uh, is, and this is a means, this is an example of means, is compline. And this is an end-of-day reflection, and you can just use this means to build your vision and to, ref to, to think about your life vision. And, and so here are some questions that a comp line would look like uh, regarding vision. What ways did you live today as though the good life was found outside of Christ? What desires were pulling you? D did you say yes to those desires or no? Uh, what ways did you see and embrace the good life as life with Jesus. And then celebrate that with God. Thank him for his activity in your life. And then you can, this can be two minutes before bed and say, God, show me what the good life is, even as I sleep and as I wake up. Holy Spirit, speak to me about the good life found in you. Because we've got to engage on a vision level. Then we will intend and then we will search out and employ the means to change. So let's pray together. God, I trust your word uh, will not return void, but it will accomplish everything for which you've set it forth today. And I pray that now as we reflect, um, Holy Spirit, would you kindly and specifically show us uh, what our actual vision has been. We all so easily are pulled off track, but you offer us power um, to live faithfully to you and to know what faithfulness is.